From the Georgia Southern Sports Network, powered by Learfield, this is Inside Eagle Nation, the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics. Strike three called, it is well with my soul at J.I. Clement Stadium. Your all-access look into Eagle Athletics is Inside Eagle Nation. Doogie with one, a three, and a win it! Got it! to the Learfield Studios. Here are your hosts, Colin Lacey and Danny Reed. A little bit different way to bring in this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation with the Braswell's Jam of the Week. As you may have guessed, that is satisfaction from the Rolling Stones and how that applies to Georgia Southern, you may ask. Well, We're going to take you back to 1965. On May the 4th, the Rolling Stones played at Hander Fieldhouse. Admission was $2.50. We were talking with Chad Willis last week on one of the virtual facility tours that will be coming out in the next couple of weeks. But we're talking to him, and he actually had a poster that was for May the 4th of 1965 when the Stones were at Hander. But it was two days after their second appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show that they made their way to Statesboro. Their first concert in the American Southeast. Again, 10 songs. Admission was $2.50. Then one week later, they made their way to Chicago and recorded Satisfaction. It was released later in 1965 and was quickly the first number one that they had in the United States. Had a little bit of Casey Kasem in you you there. Whatever works. (laughs) I did not realize that about satisfaction. Yeah, I didn't either. And this is some of the stuff, and people may not realize that some of the stuff that we tell you that you may not know that we say on Inside Eagle Nation, a lot of it, we're learning it for the first time as we're telling you. So we're all learning together. Yeah, if there's an element of surprise in how we're telling you this, it's because we didn't know what it was. Yeah, we had the surprise about 30 minutes prior. (laughs) But welcome into this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation. This week brought to you by our good friends over at Ford in your Georgia neighborhood. Ford dealers, Colin Lacey alongside the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed, as we continue throughout the quarantine era here in Georgia Southern Athletics. But as always, Inside Eagle Nation is brought to you by our good friends over at Arcola Septic. Arcola Septic is your premier septic services provider to Bullock, Bryan, and adjoining counties, and a great family-owned business that's run by a pair of Georgia Southern alumni. Make sure to give them a call at 912-318-7939 or visit them online at arcolaseptic.com. For both commercial and residential customers, their more than 10 years of experience can help you out with pumping and servicing your septic system, drain field repairs, new system installation, and all of your septic needs. Remember to follow them on Facebook, Arcola Septic, yesterday's Meals on Wheels. Before we get too deep into this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation, have a little bit of a news note that we would rather not bring to you, but we have to on this week's edition. But this will be the final edition of Inside Eagle Nation for the foreseeable future because of all the hard times that everybody's going through with the coronavirus, with athletics being shut down as far as games are concerned. Danny and I have both been put on furlough by our employer of Learfield IMG College for, at this point, it's 90 days. So if everything goes the way that it's scheduled right now, we should be back around the middle of July and get ready for college football to kick off up at Boise. But as of right now, for 90 days, you and I will be kind of taking a step back. So there will be no Inside Eagle Nation and the podcast will be halting for the next couple of months. But that being said, we're not just going and crawling in a hole and just <laughs> nowhere to be found. Going at our further quarantine hole. Right. We're going deeper inside the house. But no, but if there's anything that anybody needs, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. We're not, like I said, we're not going away. We're, we're not just, going anywhere. We're just we're, stepping aside for a couple of months. It's a leave of absence economically. We know some things have happened and our parent company, Learfield IMG College, is trying to prepare for what could come and the things that have already happened. So this isn't the only instance there are schools all across the landscape, a lot of schools that they own the rights for, they're having to do this. In fact, for people that are still employed and that are still going to be getting a regular salary, they are taking substantial pay cuts to try to make sure that we can get through this. And when we get back to normal, we can hopefully rediscover whatever that normal is. But 
we won't be able to do anything actively on social media. We won't be able to do this. We won't be able to do various other projects. Now, there will be some things you will still see coming out over the next few weeks and months. Our True Blue Eagles are already done, so those will continue to go out on Mondays. And you may see a couple of other things filter out, like the virtual tours of the Georgia Southern Athletic Facilities. Those will be coming out over the next few weeks and months. We've done some Zoom interviews with some current and some former student athletes about how they're handling all this. So those things that will still come out, those have already been finished. They're just in the post-production stages. But as far as after April the 16th until at least July the 15th, Colin and I will have to go on a temporary leave of absence. Once again, as of right now, it'll be a 90-day furlough for Danny and I, so we will be stepping aside for 90 days. But speaking of Learfield IMG College, one of our brothers around Learfield IMG College that a lot of people have heard about over the years, Mm -hmm. and Bill Colhane down at Texas State, decided that he is going to step away from being the voice of the Texas State Bobcats, announced it earlier this week via social media and Texas State Bobcats website. But we've talked about him and Brant a lot. Brant making the move from the radio side over to the ESPN Plus side over the last couple of years. But Bill Colhane is one of the best people. We've talked about his catchphrase of light that star on Jackson Hall. Gave the history of it. And the history of it. We went by Jackson <laughs> Hall, saw the star. I think every broadcast that I've ever done anywhere close to San Marcos, I think we've talked about it. But Bill, as good as he is on air, and this is the way it is for a lot of people around the Sun Belt that we're so honored to be able to be a part of the Sun Belt Broadcasting Fraternity. We got to catch up with everybody via a Zoom call a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, the fact that that went off the way that it did still shocks me. <laughs> but Bill Colhane stepping away, he is one of the best broadcasters that we have ever met. And I think you and I both said it within the span of about five minutes on social media, which shocker for us, but (laughs) it was an honor to become one of Bill's friends. And I think it's pretty safe to say that the three of us are pretty good friends. I'll say two things about Bill. One is a joke. (laughs) You probably know what I'm going to say already. Yep. I've probably mentioned this on past broadcasts or past editions of Inside Eagle Nation, but watching Bill broadcast a game, and I'm going to go back to the 2017 baseball tournament in Statesboro where you and I were in the top of the visiting booth watching him and Brandt call their game against Coastal Carolina, which came in as the top seed. It was single elimination because we lost the first two days because of rain. That was the first time I'd ever been in a booth to watch those two work together. And by the way, they're phenomenal together, and you can tell they've worked together for so long. But the joke about Bill is that he has the best broadcast posture of anybody that I've ever seen. Straight up and down. I think his head is as pointed as high as he can go. Gets that nice wide base when he's in the chair. The serious thing I'll say about Bill is there, there's a reason why we feel the way we do about the Sunbelt Conference and why we feel the way we do specifically about Texas State's guys. Bill's a reason why we enjoy the Sunbelt. Yeah. You don't get to see these guys very often, a couple of times a year, depending on when the sports overlap. You look forward to those trips. You look forward to hearing about what else is going on with these guys. And I'll share some things about Bill. While this is our full-time gig, broadcasting was a side thing for Bill. He has a tech company, which he's very passionate about, which he is very good at. They're going to be launching some things over the next coming weeks and months, and that factored into part of his decision to wanting to step away. But it didn't matter that this was a part-time thing. He still prepped and treated it like it was his thing. And it didn't matter if they were playing McMurray or Bethany or Houston Baptist or if they were playing Houston or Texas or whomever it was. He treated every broadcast like it was the only thing that mattered. And you would never know, kind of echoing what you just said, you would never know that it wasn't his full-time gig. Yeah. And so the first couple of years that I knew Bill, I thought that's the only thing Bill did. Yeah. And then we were at dinner one night, and he was talking about his tech company. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Yeah. (laughs) You have a full-time job on top of this? And the way Bill broadcasted, the way Bill prepared, the way Bill handled and treated everybody around him whether it was and you hear this a lot with some of the greats that retired like Vince Scully a couple of years ago they treated everybody from their bosses and executives all the way down to the janitors the exact same way they talked about their 2011 baseball season where everything just seemed to come together he talked about his 94 and 96 basketball seasons where he was part of the broadcast team that went to the NCAA tournament 
And in football, the one thing that seemed to come up that we didn't particularly like, but we kind of laughed it off, was the 2005 playoff game down in San Marcos when they went to the playoffs for the first time. And, well, you all know how that went, so I'm not (laughs) going to make you feel worse than you already do. But Barrick Neely is still a name that you cannot say in Statesboro (laughs) without getting a dirty look. But him and Brant were there. And they always found a way to bring it up. <laughs> we would we would quickly go back to something else. But all in good fun. And I don't think this is the last we're going to see of Bill. No. But for a 27-year career, to be able to go out the way that he wanted to, happy that we could know him and look forward to seeing what, what life does for him from here on. A huge congratulations on a great career by Bill Colhane, the Texas State Bobcats voice down in San Marcos. Wish him a lot of good things in the coming future, not only with him and his professional career, but he and his family, one of the best families that you will ever get to know. Yeah, that's that's one thing he talked about. He's going to get to enjoy to be a dad now. Yeah. I think his daughter is a very talented swimmer. He's He talked about his daughters a lot, talked about his son, and he's now going to get a chance to be a dad. That's another thing that you really think about we feel like we know everybody's family from being able to hear about them so much but I don't know that we've met very many of the families face to face I know you've met Brant's wife Linda Mm -hmm. I don't know that we've ever met Bill's family but we feel like we have because we hear about him every time we talk to him I met Nick White's wife yes met her at the conference tournament last year I don't know of anybody else. That, we've met Jay Walker's significant other. Yes. Beverly, very nice lady. Yep. I think that's it. Well, we've met Barry McKnight over at Troy's wife. D. Yep. Wonderful cook. Wonderful lady. Met Joe Cashin's daughter. Yeah. During basketball season this past year. I think that's about it, though. But I say that not to... Yeah, if we're missing somebody, to, we apologize. Yeah. We'll tell you about it in July, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that to go down memory lane and uh, trying to be put on the spot, trying to figure out who we met and who we haven't met. Oh. But just getting to know the people, and I know it's a cliche and everybody talks about it and their line of work, whatever. But for the Sunbelt broadcasters, it really feels like your second family. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. With that being said, you touched on it a little bit earlier. Got to send a lot of well wishes out to both Jonesboro and Monroe, Louisiana, as tornadoes going through both of those cities in the last week or so. From everybody that we can hear from, as far as Nick White, Mike Hammett down in Monroe, Matt Stoles out in Jonesboro, everybody that we are affiliated with is A-OK. Everybody at the university is A-OK, but a devastating tornadoes going through both Jonesboro and Monroe in the last couple of weeks is want to send a lot of well wishes out to everybody in those two sites and really throughout the southeast yeah been a lot of different storms come up over the last week or so you saw Bullock County get hit a couple of nights ago with a couple of severe storms throughout the area and I'll even go back to a former place that we went during the SOCON days Chattanooga Tennessee got a a big part of this and we hope that our guys up there Jim Horton Jay Blackman hope everybody up there is okay Larry Ward yeah oh I can't forget about Larry (laughs) it went through Murray County up in North Georgia it went to parts of Mississippi and South Carolina and I think we got lucky yeah the closest I heard where it got bad was Macon yeah. Middle Georgia, and I think there were parts of Upson Lee as well. We talked with Terry Harvin and Russ Brown. They lost power for a little bit. I think Russ's had come back by early on Monday. Terry was still waiting for his to come back. Russ had the video of a tree falling on the yeah. transformer. I don't know if that was toward that's, his backyard or where it was, but had a video of the tree falling on the transformer, and you see the explosion. But to the credit of Georgia Power, had the power back on in about six hours for Russ. Thankfully, we're being told to stay inside. Yeah. With something like this, if the order is already to stay inside, it was for something totally unrelated, but maybe that helps save some lives. Yep. It's like we were talking with Matt Stoles out in Jonesboro. He said if the stay-at-home order wasn't in place, you were probably talking about 100, maybe more deaths in Jonesboro because the tornado hit right at the mall. The, the thing that I think we really lucked out on in terms of the stability of the league is that in both instances, in Jonesboro and Monroe, neither campus was touched. Yeah. I don't know how 
thankful that that happened and thankful that everybody that we know is okay and also maybe there's a way that we can all find a way to help them out. Don't know how that's going to be in the immediate future, but as they go through this in the aftermath and try to clean up and get I, – I struggle to say normal because we're all still going through COVID-19, and I don't know exactly where that's going and what else it has in store for everybody. But now that – and then you throw this on top of it, maybe it's simply a goal to not get to Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's just to get to the next day. Maybe, maybe that's the goal. Once again, our well wishes go out to everybody, not just in Jonesboro, Monroe, but everybody across the southeast that has been affected by any of these storms that have gone through over the last week, week and a half or so, and hope everybody out in Eagle Nation is staying safe and staying healthy. A little bit happier news, I guess you could say. Yeah, we gotta we got to switch it up a yeah, little we, bit. Yeah, we got to bring this up a little bit. <laughs> We've been a little bit Debbie Downer on the first part of this edition. I, I, I thought it was convincing that we're both dressed in black for this, but either <laughs> way. <laughs> but one bright note came out earlier on Monday that Georgia Southern Athletics put out per their mathematicians and I'm not so sure who the mathematicians are it's got to be like a Mark Janak or Brian Johnston or somebody like that Chad Jackson maybe that even with two points still left to be determined in the Southern not state rivalry Georgia Southern no matter what and we know that no more points are going to be awarded in this rivalry but no matter what Georgia Southern Defeats Georgia State in the Southern Not State rivalry, the year-long competition. Bum, 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 bum. <laughs> I love that you kept your hands over your mouth to do that one. Why do I want it to carry it? Okay, <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but Georgia Southern knocking off Georgia State in the Southern Not State rivalry. The trophy going to be coming to Statesboro. About time, right? Yeah, no kidding. The, the point is, it is here, and we'll be able to hang on to it for whenever sports do return. And I like to think that the basketball teams and the football teams and probably the baseball teams would have had a say in it if that series would have been played in May. But to know that football dominated State and Paulson for the first time ever and to know that the basketball teams combined went 4-1 and one against the Panthers this year. Another bright note coming out of Georgia Southern men's basketball. It seems odd that throughout the shutdown of everything due to the coronavirus, men's basketball is what we've been talking about the last three <laughs> weeks. Oh, those woods up in Atlanta are going to last for a long time. Oh, yeah. But Georgia Southern men's basketball also getting another honor as Ike Smith receives the NSCA 2020 All-American Athlete Award. Coming from the National Strength Conditioning Association, was nominated by the Assistant Director of Strength and Conditioning and the Head Strength and Conditioning Coach for Georgia Southern men's basketball, David Kitchen, nominating Ike, and he is getting the 2020 All-American Athlete Award because of the National Strength and Conditioning Association. The backstory on that, originally when Ike's back started to flare up towards the later portion of the 2018 calendar, I think it was sometime in December, right before Georgia Southern was making that trip to Radford in non-conference play, Ike actually injured himself during a workout. And I think that it had been there, but this particular incident forced the back into a position where he simply couldn't play through it. He had surgery on two herniated discs the day after Christmas, course he redshirted the rest of last season he came back this year and we wondered okay how much would he be able to play what would he be able to give he missed one game he missed one game scored over 1900 career points almost 700 career rebounds the fact that he made it through just about the entire season and okay for this sake he made it through the entire season the one game that he missed was north florida he had banged up his knee a couple of days before didn't want to press it so that was one that and I guess you were okay at least saying chill because maybe it saved him for a couple of games later on in the schedule. But the fact that he was able to still come back and gave us such a great way to go out on with those two dunks to finish his career against Georgia State, A-okay. Again, Ike Smith getting a, another honor and it's almost starting to become a Ike Smith ring of honor of everything that he's gotten this year and well, well deserved <laughs> well the fact that he got an award for strength and conditioning with as broad as his shoulders are he can be able to fit everything <laughs> on top of them as he's now back in Gainesville so we continue on this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation brought to you by Ford and your Georgia neighborhood Ford dealers a cool story that you brought to my attention just before we started recording this oh over the last weekend oh boy head coach Rodney Hennon putting on Twitter and if you would have told me probably 36 hours ago that Rodney Hennon and Bobby Boucher, the water boy, were connected in some way, shape, or form, 
I would have leaned back in the chair, crossed the legs, and put my hand under my chin of trying to figure out what you were talking about. You would have been the hand on chin emoji that we could send Exactly. The one that's kind of looking up towards the corner. Yeah, exactly. That one. All right. So you – I didn't see this over the weekend. You brought it to my attention. So take me through of what goes on linking Rodney Hennon and Bobby Boucher. All right. A couple of days ago, ESPN put out this image – who is the best athlete or who's the goat, whatever, in fictitious movie characters. And they gave four for Adam Sandler, and they gave four for Will Ferrell. And one of Adam Sandler's was the water boy, and you had him being Happy Gilmore and a couple other things. And for Will Ferrell, you had Jackie Moon from Semi Pro. You had him in Kicking and Screaming, Ricky Bobby and all that. Well, a guy named David Pember tweeted that it should have been Bobby Boucher and the Waterboy, no contest. And then he starts to tell the story about when he was at Western Carolina, he was a pitcher, he ended up getting drafted by Milwaukee and played in the bigs back in 2002. He told the story that in 1998 that Western Carolina was on the road taking on Stetson. And if you know the story of the Waterboy, it was filmed at the football field that's on Stetson's campus. I mean, they're not a football team anymore. They jettisoned their program a number of years ago, but they still have their on-campus stadium. So while they're down there playing a baseball series, you only get, what, what is it, 280 characters if you're, if you're special on Twitter? Is that how it works? Something like that. Okay. Well, he's trying to tell the story where, yeah, we were down there playing Stets, and I, Waterboy was being filmed down there. I kept trying to sneak away, went to the bathroom three, four times to try to get a look at Adam Sandler. And he tags Skipper in it and says, R. Hennon 10, you were there. And he says, yeah, I sure was. He was smoking a cigar wearing his full pads. <laughs> I pictured, pictured Adam Sandler in that huge shoulder pads and neck roll, the number nine for SCLSU, right. smoking a cigar, offset and water. Okay, there's got to be more to this. But the only bad thing is that we're not going to be able to get the full story <laughs> until we come back. So let that whet your appetite for the next three months or so. And then as soon as we can, we'll get over to Rodney Hennon and we'll find out what else we can uncover about his time down in the land and getting a chance to see the water boy yeah we're gonna let that one marinate for a little while so you know that there's a tweet and you know that he was there <laughs> but there's gonna be some deeper stories about that oh something tells me those stories are gonna go on for days see, that's a heck of a tease yeah that's that's about as good of a tease as i think we could give people <laughs> yeah and we're making people wait three months for it yeah <laughs> but somehow some way we will get you the story of coach hennon and the water boy that, that still just sounds odd to me. But nonetheless, we will continue on this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation, again presented by our good friends over at Ford and your Georgia neighborhood Ford dealers as we step into this week's True Blue Eagle of the Week and a very special one this week brought to you by Statesboro Real Estate. This week's True Blue Eagle of the Week, somebody that Eagle Nation has come re-familiarized with over the last couple of years in Doc Spurgeon. Dr. Patrick Spurgeon was a full-time English lit professor here on campus and was one of the first assistants hired by Coach Russell when he got to Statesboro. And we've heard about the legendary scouting reports that Doc Spurgeon would scheme up. I remember a story where Irk Russell asked him, would you be a coach? And he said, put me where you need me. Irk said, kickers. Great. And I'll do the scouting reports, and we've heard a lot from Terry about how these were literary masterpieces of scouting reports. He famously said back in the early 90s that this guy from Savannah State, that Shannon Sharp had a chance to be a Hall of Famer. Guys kind of looked at him pff, 200 yards later. Savannah State nearly beat Georgia <laughs> Southern that day at Paulson Stadium. But there are stories upon stories about Doc. And, man, how great has it been getting him involved again when Coach Lunsford took the helm. Just being able to have him at Eagle Creek Brewing Company for the coaches show during this past season. I know he's been a lot of places. He spent time with Jim Tressel, not just at Youngstown State, but also at Ohio State. He's won more national championships than anybody can dream about. But this place is where his heart is. He has won nine national championships over his career, four of those coming here in Statesboro, one at Ohio State with Jim Trestle, like you mentioned. But this week's True Blue Eagle of the Week, Dr. Patrick Spurgeon. Most people just know him as Doc Spurgeon. Make sure to tune in every Monday as we release our next True Blue Eagle of the Week. Once again, this week's True Blue Eagle of the Week, presented by our good friends over at Statesboro Real Estate, Doc Spurgeon, who, if Coach Lunsford is not remembered for anything here in Statesboro, he will be remembered for bringing back Doc Spurgeon and making him a big part of the Georgia Southern football program. Yeah. I think back to when we had Doc Spurgeon on inside Georgia Southern football, 
the coaches show over at Eagle Creek and we were kind of concerned whether we were going to be able to make it just a 10 minute segment or whatever it was but he was absolutely phenomenal the two segments that I remember specifically from last year having all of the offensive linemen on (laughs) because Drew Wilson brought the house down yes he was absolutely phenomenal with all those big uglies up on stage but the one with Doc I don't know if anybody said a word for about 15 minutes. No. I know I didn't. And then when he got emotional towards the end of it, and you can see what this place means to him. He's been part of national championship programs. He's worked with Jim Trestle. He was an outstanding athlete when he was going to college at Emory and Henry. But you you could feel what this place means to him. He's been here for so long. And to be back and involved again, it means the world to him. Going back and putting together the True Blue Eagle of the Week video that went out yesterday, being able to find a picture of him in football pads was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. (laughs) But again, this week's True Blue Eagle of the Week brought to you by our friends over at Statesboro Real Estate is Doc Spurgeon. We move along in this week's edition of Inside Eagle Nation as we move into Beyond the Bio brought to you by Optum Healthcare. Time now for Beyond the Bio with Colin Lacey. Welcome back into this week's edition of Beyond the Bio here on Inside Eagle Nation as a little bit different edition of Inside Eagle Nation and Beyond the Bio this week. Not necessarily somebody specifically tied to Georgia Southern, but has a lot of ties and a lot of love for the Georgia Southern family. But this week, it'll be Brad Stallings, the grandson of Georgia Southern great head coach Jack Stallings. And Brad, appreciate you joining us. Thank you for having me, Colin. Hail Southern. Now, take us into kind of you and your granddad's relationship. I know seeing it on social media is really how you and I connected, but take us through what that relationship between you and your granddad was like. Well, I was born in 90, so about 90 to 99, honestly, it was just family gatherings until then because he was such a busy man traveling. I mean, he coached baseball on six or seven continents. He was always busy, but he did show love to us whenever we had the time and on those days, it, when growing up, none of our family played sports, so he didn't force any of that on nobody. None of my uncles played, and then I started growing a real fond love for baseball. I, I think it was born in me, and once I show, started showing that love, the lessons started flowing. And there was many times when I'd get sent out in the woods with an axe and have to cherry pick down trees, and and he swore on me that it was going to make my swing better, and and it did. He claims. <laughs> Where did it really start, him showing the love for baseball, and how being part of his family, how much did you see the love of baseball really come through him? Everywhere. In every aspect. Some, once I started showing love, every trick, every every lesson in life, he took back to a way that it would make me better and towards baseball. But until that day, it was just war stories and typical hunting stories. And, and Norma, she was a, a harder worker than him in some aspects of life. So we would be men in fences. He was mending fences until the day he died. You know, he was he was always out on the farm. He was a harder worker at home, I think, than maybe he would have been on the ball field. But I, some people would disagree with me there. But <laughs> I know his love for not only Georgia Southern but Florida State and baseball has really kind of sure. come into you. Where is the first kind of recollection that you have of him talking about Georgia Southern and what that meant to him personally? I don't know if I can go back to a specific time because it's just been my whole life. But the love, it's it's in me. And, and y'all are lucky to have them because in 1970, when Florida State went to the College World Series, we went to 16 innings. And <laughs> I think they said the best best player in the best pitcher in the nation broke his finger. And if that wouldn't happen, it might be Jack Stallings Field over here in Tallahassee. <laughs> now, we've all heard the stories of Jack creating the GS logo. And I know that's sure. been a big part of what you've got seeing you on the zoom call. You've got a couple of hats in the background there, but oh, yeah. <laughs> being able to see how much that Georgia Southern logo has taken off, knowing that he's the one that created it. How much does that mean to you and your family? It means a lot to us. And honestly, every time I see one, I, it still gives me chills this day. I remember, I mean, everybody knows the Cole Swindell, but when that popped up, I was even like, look at that. <laughs> that's granddad's right there. But I mean, and we don't see much. It's not that common of a thing, but when you do, you stop and talk to that person. It's, it's like a Eagle Nation, I guess. <laughs> Everybody wants your backstory and where you're from and what's your ties. Now, his legacy not only lives in Statesboro and Tallahassee, like we've talked about, but really throughout the whole baseball community with USA Baseball. Yes, when sir. did you get through the process of how much he meant to the game of baseball as a whole? 
I, from my understanding, I've heard I've heard stories, and other people I'm sure can back me up on this or fill you in more. But I know he's named as a founding father for Team USA, and he helped create the game. And t- like I said earlier, when we were talking personally, um, he took the game to six of seven continents. I mean, he he was over in Cuba before you could even be over there with baseball teams. And I got a funny story about him on the airplane with Barry Bonds. Uh, Cause he was, he took one of the Olympic teams over there to play a intramural game and uh, him, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, but Barry Bonds was mouthing off on the airplane. And so my granddad kicked him off the airplane and threatened not to bring him back to America. <laughs> but the Cuban military had to bring Barry Bonds back onto the airplane. And they said, no, no skip. You're taking him back home with you. He can't stay here. <laughs> How much of the stories did you hear, especially in the years after he retired from Statesboro, what are some of the stories that you remember him telling over and over again? Oh, uh, that that one was a big one. That one was probably every Thanksgiving we'd, we'd hear that one. Then there was, uh, I don't know what team exactly it was, but he was at one point back up to Jackie Robinson on the team somewhere. I don't know if it was a summer league or what it was, but uh, and there was a, a specific play from second when he wanted Jackie Robinson, one of my granddad, to pitch the ball backhand. That, that, that wasn't how Skip was going to do it. He was a little hard-headed, so he wanted to do it his way. He made an error. I think the next game, Jackie Robinson gave him hell, and that was it. He he started doing it Jackie's way, <laughs> and he and he took it credit to Jackie Robinson to the day. He always thanked him for that. What was the the person behind the coach of what Jack Stallings was? You got to see him from a more personal level, being his grandson. What was the person like different from on the field? Oh, he loved life and he loved family and and he loved just uh, just seeing us happy. Like and, and just let like I said earlier, just he loved teaching you little lessons and try and make if you were a teacher, he was going to give you a lesson to make you be a better teacher. And as long as you were the best that you could be in that aspect of life and what what route you wanted to take, that was all right with him. And that, I guess that's the coach and the teacher and him as well. We got to meet a lot of your family at the Celebration of Life at J.I. Clement Stadium in Jack Stallings Field sure. a couple of years ago. But what does the Georgia Southern community, Eagle Nation, what does that mean to your family still to this day? It means a lot. And we were going to try and get up there this year, but the COVID-19 kind of wiped that out for us. But I, honestly, now I'm, I'm going to try and get up there a lot more and represent, but I, I wear GS everywhere I go, and, and we love Georgia Southern, and all of our family are Eagle fans, Eagle and Knowles, and, and thank God y'all beat Florida in 2013 because <laughs> that boosted it down here. Y'all got a lot of Knoll fans on your side now. <laughs> Give us a little bit of background on you, what you're kind of doing now and what your life has meant because of him. Uh, a lot. I mean, it's brought me to meet people like you and and just kind of keep his legacy going and and – his outlook on life and how positive it was and how he just wanted to preach and show love to everybody. He, there was no hate. There was not a single hate cell in him. And that's what he carried on to us. And that's what we're trying to keep carrying on to everybody else. Now I told you, I was going to ask you this before we started, but this segment's called beyond the bio. Give us something that seeing your granddad on game day, seeing him around Statesboro in this time, something that people may not know, something beyond his bio. At Wake Forest, he had a little old roommate in college named Arnold Palmer. So for them to grow up and each be how respected they were in both of their sports was kind of amazing too. But pretty much this whole this whole segment, I mean, kicking Barry Bonds off the plane. I mean, being Jackie Robinson's backup, there was so many, meeting so many presidents and just the lover he was and the and the gift of life he was just trying to spread to everybody, just the wonderful p- person and human he was. I think everybody who really got a no-skip knew the person and how good of a person he was. Brad, we appreciate you taking some time with us and want to thank you and your entire family for the years that you shared him with Georgia Southern and Statesboro. Thank you. Once again, a little bit different of a beyond the bio this week as Brad Stallings, the grandson of Georgia Southern Hall of Famer Jack Stallings, joining us this week brought to you by our good friends over at optum healthcare appreciate brad taking some time and we have been in contact with brad for the last couple of years trying to get more of a story of how the gs logo came about because we know that jack stallings created the georgia southern gs logo when he made the transition from florida state to statesboro but there's not really a story of 
why it all came about, where it came from, all of that. So Brad is still trying to do some digging throughout the Stallings family, and we will get you that as soon as we know. But appreciate him taking some time, and we talk about it all the time with different people. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago with Wanda Parrish, how having a link still to Irk Russell is so important. But you think of people like Brad, who is a direct link to Jack Stallings, is just as important for Eagle Nation. And I also think about the logo itself and how – basketball started to use it now as part of their uniform. Got a lifestyle with Georgia Southern football has started to use it. Georgia Southern golf has been using a form of that GS. So to know that that was something that was made so long ago, and even though it's taken a while, to see now it having such an influence on our overall image and whatever goes out in terms of social media, to have that branding and to know where it came from, that's a very important thing, not just for maybe longtime fans who may not know the genesis of the GS logo, but also for fans that we don't have yet so they can find out stories like that. I would love to know, and obviously we will never be able to ask this since Coach Stallings passed away a couple of years ago, but I would love to know what he thinks of having a logo he created if he knew that it was going to take off as much as it had. I mean, you think of the Georgia Southern GS logo, a, not a whole lot of people know that Jack Stallings is the one that created it because there's not a whole lot of coaches that can say, I created the logo that yeah. the school uses well after I'm gone. But to think of that logo has been brought to the national limelight, if it wasn't already, Cole Swindell wearing it on his hat every concert he has. Can I just wonder what Coach Stallings was thinking about the first time he saw Cole Swindell on some national news station with his logo on his head. He would say it's a great day for baseball. The sun is shining, the birds are singing, and the bats are jumping in the rack. Let's go get them. Beautiful. I love it. That'll transition us into this week's edition of Eagle Archives, brought to you by our friends over at International Diamond Center, where this week... (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Baseball International Diamond Center. I didn't even think about that. I love it when it works out. (laughs) International Diamond Center bringing you Eagle Archives this week. Did not plan that whatsoever. Nope. And I didn't realize it until I just said it, and then you started laughing. Uh, But we dive into the history of Georgia Southern baseball, and we have talked about the Georgia Southern baseball program so much over the last couple of years since we started Inside Eagle Nation. You look at 14 NCAA regional appearances for this program and so many honors that we will get to over the next few minutes. But this is one of the more historical programs in the Sunbelt Conference. I know you look at Louisiana Lafayette, you look at – South Alabama, different programs that have a lot of history, but Georgia Southern is right there up with it. Still waiting to win that first Sunbelt championship, and that doesn't mean we haven't been close. Been to three title games in the last four years, so I think that it is more than apparent that we can compete amongst Sunbelt teams, and as we found out earlier this year, couldn't compete with the best in the country sweeping a series from a top-five Georgia team. Yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> That's another one we're always good. See, this is the year of just being able to beat up on everybody else in the state. I wish we'd get Georgia Tech mixed in if that baseball game would have gone differently, but taking games from Georgia State in football, in basketball, it would have been in baseball to take three from Georgia – in baseball this year. <laughs> all on the same day. All, all, around the same time. It was, within a couple of weeks, all this was done. Yeah, that might be – if you go and rank the days for Georgia Southern Athletics. March the 11th. The day that Georgia Southern baseball swept Georgia. Yep. And the day that Georgia Southern basketball beat Georgia State for the second time in the Sun Belt Tournament up there. That may be up there. I haven't thought about it like that. I would do a 30 for 30 on March the 11th, 2020. You know, and crazy you say that, Glenn Ingram, Aaron Soka, and I have said that there needs to be a 30 for 30 on the March 11th and March 12th because it goes from the highest of highs. You just knocked off Georgia State and Georgia in the same day in two different sports, and then the next day is when everything started getting canceled. And being able to sit up in the press box as you were supposed to be making your way from Atlanta down to New Orleans. Right. And that got cut short. Yep. Glenn Ingram, Aaron Soka, and I were all sitting in the baseball press box watching the team practice as they got the news that the College World Series was canceled. I'm convinced that needs to be a 30 for 30. Glenn may have to make it, but go for it. (laughs) Hey, we're going to have time. Yeah, true. Not that we could be terribly active in it, but (laughs) true. 
<laughs> we, we, we will we will sort that out. We'll, we will get to it. But <laughs> Taking a look, dive into the Georgia Southern baseball history. It started back in 1930 when the first baseball program was started, and B.L. Crooksmith was the head coach for Georgia Southern baseball for the six years that it was a program before World War II. But B.L. Crooksmith, everybody knows him as the former coach for Georgia Southern football. Mm-hmm. Then was the Blue Tide. It wasn't called Georgia Southern then, but was still the head coach for Georgia Southern Baseball and Georgia Southern Football. Again, it was just a six-year lasting program from 1930 until 1935 before World War II would shut down the program. Restarted in 1947, and through 1947 until 1949, had three different head coaches in three years. R.I. DeWitt was restarting the program in 47. It would be J.B. Scarce in 1948 who would retire as the winningest basketball coach in the state of Georgia on the college side from both his time at UGA and in Statesboro, but for one year was leading Georgia Southern baseball. And really and truly, I didn't know that until the last couple of days. And as we've tied it in before, the wild thing about how that gets even deeper is when J.B. Scarce was the head coach of Georgia Southern men's basketball, his assistant coach was J.I. Clements. <laughs> Six it, it's, that's how much everybody had to do at that time to make everything work. But in 1949, J.I. Clements would be the head coach for Georgia Southern Baseball over his 19-year career, would have a lot of good things come his way for J.I. Clements, and obviously because you don't name a stadium after somebody that wasn't very good. Well, they drew a name out of the hat. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) The hat that Jack Stallings made. That's right. Later. But 1962 would be the NAI National Champions out in St. Joseph, Missouri, sweeping Portland State. And that's really where... Georgia Southern had been relevant the years prior to that, but 1962 is what really put Georgia Southern on the map of, okay, Georgia Southern baseball is a thing that everybody needs to know about. I think back a few years ago before a baseball game, and I want to say it was a home game before South Alabama, where we had a chance to meet quite a few members of that 62 team. I remember meeting Bill Griffin. Of course, E.G. Maybaum is an active member of both an alum of basketball and baseball. Talk about Pierce Blanchard. He had the complete game victory in the national championship game. And to hear their stories about how, remember, they almost didn't get into the tournament that year. They were playing to finish up the season at Florida State. And then when the bus was coming home, they got in a pretty significant accident. And there was a wonder whether they were even going to have enough guys to go on to the NAI tournament that year. Well, they end up winning district. They go to the national part. And as we've talked about before, the NAI used to be held at a, a Welch Stadium in St. Joe's, Missouri. That's the same stadium that former Eagle shortstop Evan McDonald played at during his summer ball with the Mustangs. So somehow that all over a stretch of 50-some <laughs> years all seems to tie back together. But that was Georgia Southern's first ever national championship in any sport. Again, 1962 is when that happened. Five years later, in 1967, Bill Spieth, who we talked about last week for Georgia Southern Softball, became the interim head coach in 67. 68, J.I. Clements would return for his final year at the helm of Georgia Southern Baseball. Bill Spieth would take over on a full-time basis in 1969 until 1971. 1972 is when Ron Polk would make his way to Statesboro, and Ron Polk, after leaving Statesboro after four years, He's really moved on to a lot in the baseball community, was the head coach at Mississippi State, and has really been tabbed as writing the baseball Bible as far as coaching is concerned. And He's referred to as the father of baseball in the Southeastern Conference. Yeah. And it's crazy to think he got his start in Statesboro. 1973 College World Series. After just his second year, that was a program at that point that was junior college heavy. He had a lot of connections down in the state of Florida. At one point, he had worked with Demi Maneri, who's Paul Maneri's father, now the head coach at LSU. To bring in that kind of talent, he had Georgia Southern's first ever All-American play for him. John Tamargo was a catcher. Just had two years to go to the College World Series, and then in 1974, this is a team that kind of gets skipped over. They won 47 games that year. Oh, yeah. We're getting there. 73, you mentioned, was the first appearance for the College World Series. Had to get there via the Starkville Regional, and the regionals were That's ironic. very different. <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't think about that, but regionals were structured very different than they are today. You didn't have a regional, then super regional, then College World Series, but had to make their way through the Starkville Regional fell in game one, 6-2 to two to Vanderbilt, and then won the next three games to make it to Omaha. Defeated Miami, Vanderbilt, and then Miami again to win the Starkville Regional. 
in the College World Series. First game, they fell to Texas 6-3, to then got an 8-0 victory over Harvard before falling to Minnesota 6-2 to to end the 1973 season out in Omaha. But this is a team that finished up in a final poll in fifth in the country. 43-12 and was their season record, and they were ranked throughout the season as high as fourth. This was a team that, for much of at least the last half of the season, was ranked in the top 25 in some way, shape, or form. They got up as high as fourth, as we mentioned before. The final poll had them at fifth, but you had had the NAI national champions 11 years prior, but making the transition from NAIA to NCAA, Ron Polk, as you mentioned, just in his second year at the helm, taking this team to the College World Series was something special. And then a lot of t- people, like you talked about, skip over the 1974 team. They won more games yeah. than the 1973 team. They finished up 47-14 and 14 and fell in the regional, making it just shy of Omaha. But that team and different people you talk to around the Georgia Southern baseball program that have been around for a while, they will say the 1974 team may have been better than the 73 team. That year, you had Pete Manos have his 42 and a third inning scoreless streak, which is still the school record. Steve Weber was an assistant coach. You remember Steve Weber was a longtime head coach of the University of Georgia. He passed away within the last couple of years. In that year, in 1974, mm-hmm. Bob Hope visited Statesboro. <laughs> I mean, we associate with being one of the top comedians of all time, all the USO tours, all the specials, getting involved with all the the roasts and whatever. But he visited Statesboro in 74 in January. Well, how about that? There you are. We talked about Rolling Stones. We got Bob Hope. Ah, wild. (laughs) And a wild. Not a great Bob Hope. but Hey, it's a good enough Bob Hope. But after the 1974 season, Ron Polk would have one more season in Statesboro in 1975 before Jack Stallings takes over in 1976. And Jack Stallings, the winningest coach in Georgia Southern baseball program history, but a lot of the guys that he churned out of this program are something to really talk about. One of those guys that a lot of people don't really talk about all that much, Chuck Lusted, was a pitcher from 1978 to 1981, had a 19-5 record his sophomore and junior season combined. He was drafted twice first by the Twins in 1980, decided to come back to Statesboro, then drafted by the Giants in the 26th round in 1981, would play five years in minor league baseball in the Giants system, would make it as high as double A. But then he would go on to lead the East Georgia program over in Swainsboro. He was the head coach for East Georgia Bobcats for a number of years, coach guys that are still in the Georgia Southern baseball program like Tyler Owens, Rhett Gay, really had an impact on those guys. And then you look at another guy that in 1979, Scott Fletcher was an All-American shortstop for Georgia Southern Baseball, yep. hit 413 in 61 games in 79, was drafted by the Chicago Cubs, ended up playing 15 years in big league baseball for seven different teams, six years with the Chicago White Sox. And everybody has heard Scott Fletcher over the last couple of years, now a minor league baseball instructor for the Detroit Tigers was the assistant hitting coach for the Braves the last couple of years before that. But one of the best stories about Scott Fletcher, and I can't remember who told me this first. It may have been Roger, it probably was. But George W. Bush had a dog named Spot Fletcher Bush. He named his dog after Scott Fletcher. So Spot Fletcher Bush, that would end up passing away back in, I think it was 2004 when Bush was in office, the dog was named after Scott Fletcher because when George W. Bush owned the Texas Rangers, Scott Fletcher led them in hitting for two or three consecutive years. And so George W. Bush loved Scott Fletcher. He named his dog after him. (laughs) And then you add another degree of separation. Scott Fletcher and Chuck Lusted would come back together back in the early 2000s, the late 1990s, to coach together at Emory. Scott Fletcher was the hitting coach at Emory. Chuck Lusted was the pitching coach at Emory for about four or five years, and then they would go their separate ways. Obviously, Scott Fletcher would make his way into professional baseball, and Chuck Lusted would make his way to Swainsboro to lead the East Georgia program. But we talk about so many Georgia Southern football former players becoming coaches, and you just look at the – under the tutelage of Jack Stallings, 
those guys went on to have huge impacts in the baseball world. Chuck Lusted, by the way, now the head coach at Holy Innocence High School up in the metro Atlanta area. I did not realize that. I didn't either. Again, wow! What some of these things that we tell you, we learned 30 minutes before. See, I, it, even though we make it seem like we do, we do not know near as enough as we should. No, uh, I mean, we're, we're trying to figure it all out. <laughs> it ain't for a lack of effort, but you just stumble across things. You're like, I probably should have known that, but you didn't. Now we have a lot of time to. Yeah, now you do. There, yeah. You move on to 1990 would be the next time that Georgia Southern will make the College World Series. They would go through the Midwest Regional, hosted out in Wichita. Opened up the regional with a victory over Wichita State, a thriller in 13 innings. Got the victory 4-2 to two over the Shockers. They would move on to crush South Alabama 13-4, to four, who would later become a Sunbelt rival for Georgia Southern. But this back in 1990. South Alabama would come back, and the Eagles would fall to the Jags 3-2. to two. They would win the final two games of the Midwest Regional against UCLA and South Alabama. Move on to Omaha, would fall to Stanford in 10 innings, 5-4, to four, the victory for the Cardinal, and then fell 15-1 to one to Mississippi State to end their season. But that was a team that finished number eight in the final poll back in 1990, and it was just another chapter in the Georgia Southern Baseball Program. And it sounds odd that Georgia Southern baseball every year expects to make a run in postseason and make their way towards Omaha, but you got to think that's the mindset for this program. They've done it twice, and nobody really expects Georgia Southern to make their way to Omaha, but nobody expected it in 1990 and 1973 either. That 1990 team, we could do an entire episode just on that season, and I think there have been articles written, there have been features done, that was the culmination of a lot of recruiting and a lot of work and a lot of guys getting back to health. And we know how important Rob Fitzpatrick was and up getting drafted after that season. Fitzpatrick hit the grand slam against South Alabama in the regional that year. He hit the home run against Stanford that was actually turned over to a double. We've talked about that on previous baseball broadcasts, but at that point it was 1990. There was no instant replay and the video clearly shows that the ball was over the left center field fence of the old Rosenblatt Stadium, but it was turned into a double. Georgia Southern ends up losing, and then they fall to Mississippi State. But to go 50-19, and 19, that 1990 season, we've seen that from a lot of different perspectives. Mississippi State, of course, was there that year with Ron Polk as head coach with a young Tommy Raffo playing for him in 1990, now the head coach at Arkansas State. That was the year that the Citadel made its only appearance in the College World Series. And, oh, by the way, Georgia won it all that year, led by Steve Weber, who is a former assistant here at Georgia Southern. I know, we, <laughs> I know we talk about this all the time, but baseball, if you're in the baseball world, you are connected to every single person in the baseball world in some way, shape, or form. That may be something that we need to do whenever we start Inside Eagle Nation back up is trying to connect us to random people throughout the baseball world. I'll come up with a random person in the baseball world for you. You come up with a random person in the baseball world for me, and we've got to try to map our way to them. Well, being that we've got 90 (laughs) days, we could probably do that. After the 1990 College World Series, you would have 10 more years under head coach Jack Stallings until 1999 when he would step aside. And head coach Rodney Hennon in the summer of 1999 would make his way to Statesboro to start his campaign in 2000. 2005, J.I. Clements Stadium would open. They would break ground in 2004, but the stadium wouldn't be fully completed until 2005. And it's a very different J.I. Clemens Stadium when head coach Ronnie Hennon took over in 2000 and the facilities that he had and now that what J.I. Clements and Jack Stallings Field looks like you just see the installation of the new video board, the new outfield wall a couple of years ago, the building of the Wiggins building so much has happened here for Georgia Southern Baseball and we talk about head coach Ronnie Hennon is going to go down in the history books along with J.I. Clements and Jack Stallings as the top three coaches that Georgia Southern has ever seen. And you look at what Coach Hennon has done for this program, and a lot of what the renovations to J.I. Clement Stadium, a lot of that was started by Coach Hennon. You see he is, if you look at the bottom of the video board, 
It says it was donated by the Eagle Baseball Alumni Association. A lot of that was churned up by head coach Ryan Hinnon. He has done a lot for this program that kind of flies under the radar. And, oh, by the way, he wins, too. Six total NCAA regionals, five conference championships, illustrating just how hard it is to not only win, but win consistently. One season, all time, where he has been under 30 victories. It's basically wake up, win at least 30, go to sleep, keep doing it. And the best part for Coach Hinnon, he just sees himself as a, another regular guy. And being around him as much as we are, that's the way he is. I mean, he could very easily walk around with this ego as big as the Wiggins building, but he doesn't. That's, that's Skipper. You would not know that he's been here for 21 years. No. You would not know that he has won more than 800 games. You would not know, unless you looked at the walls, all the guys that have gone on to play professionally, that have been drafted, and you would not know all the guys that still come back. You would not know all those guys that when they played here, they went off and did whatever they did, but they still keep Georgia Southern in their hearts because they still come back and they see him. We're at Alumni Day where I think a couple of years ago, Joey Hamilton got on the mountain. He was still throwing 84 miles per hour, which was just awesome in and of itself. But to know how this little place, this little program in southeast Georgia can do all these things, and it does make me sad to think that we didn't get a chance to see what this year could have been. I'm not saying it was going to go to Omaha. Would it have been 40 wins? Would it have been a conference championship? Would school records have been set? Team had six shutouts in 16 games. Had never been done in the history of the program. What else would have happened? Mason McCorder was leading the league in RBIs with 23 of them. He had just hit his second career grand slam. And, oh, by the way, Noah Ledford hadn't swung a bat. (laughs) Right. He had not even returned from his foot injury. So who's to say what impact that would have had on giving the lineup even more thump? Would Jordan Jackson have developed into maybe a pitcher of the year candidate? Would have Tyler Owens, for that matter? Would Braden Hayes have become a frontline guy on the weekends? I think we were seeing the, the steps leading that way. He had just thrown seven shutout in this final start against Valparaiso. The defense was historic. Yeah. Had five errors in 16 games. We've talked about it before. Coach Hennon said that this was one of the best defensive squads that he may have ever seen. And for somebody that has seen 21 teams come through this program, that's saying something, especially with as much emphasis as Coach Hennon puts on the defensive side. Two of the errors were catcher's interference. So only... A handful of actual bad throws or mishandled baseballs. I know it was only 16 games, but if you project what that could have been over 56 and then whatever postseason would have been, it could have gone down as not just a season to remember for Coach Hannon's tenure, but maybe in the history of this program. I wish we could know that, but at least now we can imagine what it might have been like. One more thing that I will say about Coach Hennon and the tenure that he's had here in Statesboro that's really impressive, you think about the guys that have worked for Coach Hennon, guys that have gone on to bigger and better things from being on Coach Hennon's staff. You think of Mike Tiddick was the hitting coach for head coach Rodney Hennon for a number of years. He's now one of the top scouts in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. You think of Josh McDonald, who was the volunteer assistant coach for head coach Ronnie Hennon here in Statesboro for a number of years. He's now the head coach and leading Georgia Southwestern's program down in Americas now. You think of guys like Brian English, who was the director of operations for a year for head coach Ronnie Hennon. He's now leading one of the top high school programs down at Camden County. There are so many people that have come through and worked for Coach Hennon that have learned what a baseball program is supposed to look like, and then have carried it on to so many different things. You get a real instance of how far this program reaches. And in a way, it's basically an extension of what Jack Stallings had started a number of years ago for his involvement with USA Baseball and traveling to all corners of this world, spreading the message of baseball and how the game of baseball can bring people together, show you what's possible. We're lucky that... Rodney Hennon has not been scooped up by someone. 
Yeah. Because it's could have very, very easily been done. But I think about to the summer of 99, and I talk with him a lot about this, when Sam Baker trusted him to lead this program, he had to go through a lot in his early days. He had the hazing incident that you know people know about, but I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on. Those first three years, NCAA tournaments, winning 40 games, getting to an NCAA six times, countless player, pitcher of the year, developing players, but more importantly, developing men. That's the landmark, and that's the hallmark of what a true program really is. Can't wait to see what's along the horizon for Georgia Southern baseball. As we talked about the last couple of minutes, a lot of really good things were happening in 2020 before being cut short because of the coronavirus. But as we learned a couple of weeks ago, all of the seniors for Georgia Southern baseball will be able to come back for another year of eligibility for this Eagle baseball program, and that is going to be something to watch in 2021. So now we get to go on a three-month siesta. That'll wrap up the Eagle Archives portion. Again, this week, brought to you by our good friends over at International Diamond Center. I still love that we had International Diamond Center on the baseball. Don't tell me that you didn't plan that. I'm telling you I did not plan. I couldn't plan that if I wanted to. But nonetheless, that's how it worked out. Good note to end on. But again, that will wrap up Inside Eagle Nation, not only for this edition, but for the foreseeable future. Again, Danny and I being placed on a 90-day furlough, so it'll be middle of July at least before you will see us again live at least. Again, a couple of things coming out over the next couple of months that have already been recorded or, as they say in the video business, put in the can. Oh, that's what that means. I guess. (laughs) I'm going to go with it. Now, the next time we're on for a podcast, that doesn't mean that we're going to recap everything that's happened for the time that we're away. It's not going to be this three or four hour episode because that would be the end of us, not just the end of the podcast. (laughs) But you can track it as you like. You can still reach out to us. We'll be more than happy to help with whatever we can. But we know that with the way things are right now, hopefully it's going to end very soon. But this is... This is how it's going to have to be. So for the foreseeable future, for the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed, this is Colin Lacey saying so long, everybody. You've been listening to Inside Eagle Nation, powered by Learfield, the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics.